we're going to dive into um, our lesson tonight. And what we're going to kind of title it is Evolution Explained. So if you're here last week, you know that we talked about creation and the evidence for a creator, right? Evidence for theistic or a, a God who's uh, involved um, theistic style of creation. So tonight, we're going to kind of dovetail off of that into some of the other bigger questions that you probably face in your schools and stuff like that. So what we've discovered over the, the years and, and time in student ministry is that if you grow up, and we, we kind of hit on this a tiny bit last week, but if you grow up and all you always hear is like, well, this is just what the Bible says, or this is just what mom and dad say to believe, then one day you may end up in a, a college or a university with a professor who believes something totally opposite to the Bible. And in that moment, what are you going to respond with? Like, what is your evidence? What is your support? What is your backing going to be as it pertains to um, defending your faith and what you believe? And so we want to try and dive deep with some of these things that we've been in in this series to help give you some of that evidence uh, for faith and evidence for what is going on. So today we're going to do a a high level kind of flyby of creation versus evolution. So if you were here last week, you know, we went real deep into creation. Um, And so tonight we're going to go ahead and we're going to look a little bit at uh, evolution. And so as you get higher and higher up into different levels of school and stuff like that, you're going to be exposed to more and more uh, thinking patterns and classes and things where they're forced to teach you things like evolution and uh, natural selection and all those types of things. So what's the response? What's the biblical view of those things, okay? And so over um, over the last 200 years, what we found is that what was being taught and what was thought before in science has actually been in many ways refuted and taken back. And so I remember before even like literally a month ago, before I dove into the meat of learning this content for this series, I remember thinking like science has some really tough unanswered questions and the Bible and science seem to be opposed. But the more you lean into some of those things, science actually underscores and, and supports what the Bible uh, kind of has to say. And so it's actually super fascinating. If you do the work for yourself and dig into kind of some of the research and not just take your teacher's um, sort of expertise or whatever uh, at face value, you kind of get that, all right? So I'm going to look at three big kind of questions. And for each of those, I'm going to give uh, kind of our theory and then a counter theory, all right? So I want to be fair to the other side because there are two views in every one of our theories. And so the first one that we're going to dive in today is the big question is, where in, where in the world did this stuff come from? Why does creation matter? And where in the world did this earth, the world, the cosmos, where did this stuff come from? There are two theories, all right? And the first theory is the Big Bang, Okay. And so the Big Bang, if you've heard of it before, you know that it's, uh, it was suggested by a guy named Georges Lemaitre. Everyone say that. Ready? Georges Lemaitre, okay? He's a Belgian dude, and he first suggested the Big Bang Theory in the 1920s, okay? And so he theorized that the universe began from a single 
Adam, a single primordial Adam. And so this dude, he's like, hey, this Adam, this single Adam at one point in time in history, it created this, this giant source of energy and this massive explosion. And that's where we got the universe from, okay? That was kind of his theory. And so here are just a few quick things. This is on your U version as well. But it proposes that billions of years ago, the universe began in a tiny, infinitely hot and dense point called a singularity, all right? So that singularity is that, that small center point. And the Big Bang Theory is based on scientific evidences. Here's the thing. The scientific evidences are, are not very great. They're, they're kind of poor scientific evidences, and here's why. When challenged, uh, Big Bang theorists say that there's actually still a lot to be learned about what happened back at that time. And so the more you press into it, uh, the more that the theory, the more that the explanation kind of falls apart. And so it's great maybe in like a big high view explanation of it, but when you're like, okay, but what about this? Well, where'd this come from? How did that get there, right? There's, there's more flaws to the theory at hand, all right? Uh, admittedly, scientists also can explain what they think occurred. Um, however, in efforts to try to recreate that, those experiments, like they've, they've taken some of those atoms and stuff like that and tried to put it in circumstances where they can recreate it, they can't recreate it. All right, And so the Big Bang, kind of, the theory sort of ends up falling flat. The other theory, of course, is the creation theory. And like you know, if you were here last week, you know we dove big time into that. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so that's one of the major things that we talked about last week. And we sort of ruled out uh, materialism, pantheism, deism, and we kind of ended with, hey, the only option left when you look at all of this is theism, is the evidence and the need for a creator. So if that is the case, and if it wasn't from one single point, one single atom, then how in the world or what, what is the answer, right? And we would say as followers of Christ that God created the world, and as a result, his son Jesus came to save us from our sins uh, thousands of years after that initial creation kind of point. And so you guys know that if you're in um, school and stuff like that, the answer for us, the answer is found in, in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis 1 goes on to say he created water and plants and animals and vegetation and human beings. Ultimately, God is the answer for creation. So this big bang, this, this point of singularity, uh, it kind of runs in exact opposition to this idea of creation. And so, like I said, that's a little bit recap. Um, we didn't talk a whole, whole lot about the Big Bang specifically, but as scientists have tried to lean more and more into it, the, the evidence for it is not super great, okay? The second thing I want to look at today, tonight, is um, the question of this. Two, uh, the origin of life, all right? And so the two main theories of where did life come from? So the reason we had to do this, this thing, how we were created is we would contend that God created human life. The other theory is that we evolved from smaller animals who evolved from smaller animals than even themselves, who evolved from atoms and things even smaller than that, right? So it was this, this kind of big bang, this small uh, singular point of existence, and over time they evolved and, and out of it came life, all right? And so those are our two kind of competing theories. And so a couple of things on, 
evolution, or another term for it, maybe you've heard, is called um, nat- the natural process, all right, um, or, or natural evolution. So the claims by those people here is that this, this formation of life was a result of time. And so you see on this graph here that started with a small piece and got bigger and got bigger and got bigger and got bigger. Well, here's what we know, and here's what scientists have, have kind of proved for us, is that in order to have life, all right, everything, and this is going to get real deep, all right, so hang with me, but everything uh, has to have code built into it, all right? So you have a cell phone in your pocket, and you pull that out. In order for that program to run, there needs to be a, a hardwired code into the software of that system, okay? The same is true with human life, all right? Um, the scientists have actually found uh, computer-style code hardwired into our DNA. So in order for that to come into place, um, the question that we have to ask is, would that have just come about by an evolution of smaller species into ultimately a monkey turning into a person? Or would the answer be that it came from a creator, an intelligent creator at that. So let me give you guys, let me help hopefully illustrate this a little bit better, okay? Um, I'm gonna need a handful of volunteers, okay? And so they're gonna, we're gonna get them up here on the screen, okay? So this is gonna tell us who our volunteers are. I need the girl wearing the most blue. Who's the girl wearing the most blue? All right, whoever you are, girl wearing the most blue, come on up here. Come on, Lacey, come on down. You have been selected. Don't worry, there's going to be more. Who's the tallest girl? Who's the tallest girl? Lily. All right, Natalie. Here, uh, Lacey, come here. I need you to just grab a Scrabble piece, okay? Don't look at it, just grab it. Same to you, Natalie, okay? Grab a Scrabble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not yet. Hold on, hold on to it, okay? I need the person who lives closest to here. Rachel. Rachel lives in the parking lot. Rachel, grab a Scrabble piece. Huh? No, don't look at it yet. I totally looked at it. She said I could, by the way. Well, switch it out then, man. All right, you're going to... You literally said I could. I'm sorry. All right, let's see. Let's get a dude here. Shortest boy. Short. Israel just pops up. He's like, I know this is me. All right, I'm going to own it. All right, man, take a, a piece out of here. Okay, stand right here next to Rachel, right here. Let me get, I'll get two more, okay? Um, smallest shoe size boy who's still out there, okay? Smallest shoe size boy. Somebody, somebody offer up their shoe size. Eight and a half. Can any boy be smaller than eight and a half? Michael, you're the winner, man. Grab a letter, okay, grab a letter. And then last... Person who most recently broke a bone. Do you have a broken arm? When did you when did you chip your bone? When did it like the injury? Huh? Do you want to just give this to Olivia? Olivia, you win. Yes. Okay. All right, so she's like, yeah, proof that I broke my toe. Okay, now, ready? 
here's the thing. Here's, here's the evolutionary uh, kind of process. So in order for us to get this genetic code that's exactly perfect, that's exactly hardwired how we as humans need in our DNA, all right, the evolutionary process would say that it happened by chance, all right? It happened by a big bang, and then through the evolutionary process of smaller animals into bigger animals, ultimately into human beings, and we just, um, by chance, hit the jackpot and got an exact DNA match for what we needed. And so here's how we're going to illustrate this. By randomly calling up six volunteers and giving them each a Scrabble letter out of my Scrabble letter baggie, we're going to create a word, Okay? And so here's the word. We're just going to spell it. We're going to start with Lacey. And it's a six-letter word. And so here we go. Ready, Lacey? What, what letter do you have? W-R-D. Huh? Another D? Two Ds next together. Okay. Word. N. Word. Nah. Word. Nah. All right. That didn't really work. Okay. Here. Let's try that again. Put that in here. Put that in. Put that in. Put that in. Put your letter back. Put your letter back. Okay. Hey, you know what? Watch this. Ready? Uh, it closes. No, you are voluntold by the voluntold generator. All right, we're going to get a new word. We're gonna, that one didn't work very well. We're going to get a new word. Okay, ready? Let's here you go. What do you got? Tell me. D. D. T. Maybe it's a Hungarian word. E. D. T. U. Mm, okay, that didn't work very well either. All right, um, should we try again? Yeah. Do you think we're going to get it? All right, so go ahead and put your letters back in. I think you guys get my point. Give our voluntold uh, people a hand for being up here. So here, the point that I want to uh, try to make is that no matter how much chance we take, no matter how many um, tries we, we go at, no matter how many cracks we, we try to like, hey, let's, let's spell a six-letter word, um, we're probably not going to get one, all right? And if you say, okay, that's just one word, we would have to spell a whole sentence and then ultimately put together a whole paragraph and then write a full book. That would be the amount of, of data, the amount of, of information that is in your body, in your DNA, in your cells, right? And so scientists, again, they say, well, that just happened by chance. And so, hey, here we are, we're all lucky. And now we're just genetic and we're reproducing these things. When in reality, when you look at it, I think the more obvious answer, the more obvious solution is that there is an intelligent creator who created us and who put those things in us. Psalm 139, we use it a lot for baby showers and stuff like that, but it works here too, right? For you, talking about God, you formed me, my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is what we say, God created us and God put us all together in that way from before the creation of the world. So I actually have a quick little video um, that kind of answers some of the evolutionary type questions. And so I'm going to have Brendan go ahead and play that and go ahead and take a look up here at the screens. 
Science has proven evolution, therefore evolution is true. Since evolution is true and Christians don't believe it, then Christians don't believe science and they aren't rational people. Really, let's put that claim to the test. First off, evolution in the sense that things change is evident. No rational person disputes that. Therefore, rational Christians believe it. We can observe change, but evolution in the sense that life came from non-life and then that life began to randomly generate new genetic information and over time it eventually produced humans is something entirely different and something that quite honestly doesn't hold up against science. In other words, evolution in the sense of molecules to man is not scientifically plausible and therefore should not be viewed as scientific fact. Quite honestly, it is in great opposition to science, that is, observational science, the kind of science we can test and repeat and use our five senses to understand. Science demonstrates that over time, Living organisms lose genetic information. They don't gain it. That same science demonstrates that life doesn't arise from non-life. Hey, Follow along from? if you would. Fact one, there is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to an organism's genetic code. None. That pretty much refutes evolution right away because there's no way to go from a fish to an amphibian without adding new information, right? If living organisms cannot produce new genetic information, how can anything gradually change into something of higher intelligence or form or complexity? That is, how can anything evolve from an amoeba to a man without adding new genetic information? The answer, of course, is that it can't. Plain and simple. Now, some have speculated and they have imagined all kinds of things and they brought in artists to produce creative renderings based on guesses and they have been successful in telling a very convincing story that humans evolved from ape-like creatures. But those are just drawings, people. They're just stories. But what we really observe is humans are humans and apes are apes. Now, if fact one buried evolutionary thinking deep into the Precambrian soil, this next fact, fact two, tosses so much sediment on it that not even the greatest team of paleontologists with the latest subterranean gizmo could dig up the remains. Check this out. Never, again, never has it been observed that life can come from non-life. So here are two major scientific evidences against evolution. I reiterate for clarity, life has never been observed to come from non-life, and there is no known, observable process by which new genetic information can be added to the genetic code of an organism. So molecules to man evolution doesn't really make scientific sense. Yet we are all here, and life is all around us in various forms. Although evolution cannot account for this, the Bible can. The Bible reveals that the all-powerful, all-knowing, supernatural God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, and all life according to its kinds, that is, each with its own set of genetic information. So, again, what the Bible reveals makes sense of what we see and understand. Evolution does not. Enough said. <laughs> all right. So, um, the last kind of thing is uh, there one kind of counter-argument that you guys may hear uh, as it pertains to evolution is that there was a scientist. I forget his name. Um, his name was uh, Miller, all right? Apparently, his name was Miller. Maybe Seth put it in his notes earlier. But basically, this guy Miller... Um, you hear this one a lot. Science has proven evolution. Sorry, man. Sorry. I, you still want to see that video again? Uh, but basically, there was this experiment of taking some of the natural components. Um, like, like, you know, you and I, we have to have, um, like, carbon and some of these other, like, natural things that are a part of a human body. That, that's the whole life versus non-life kind of debate. So they took, like, some of these amino acids or other things that would be required to be found in our cells and they put them in a controlled experiment and they tried to get them to to bond and fuse together to see like could could these particles if they're floating around with the right kind of environment create life and uh it wasn't working and ultimately they they put this um 
They supercharged it with some electricity in the event that maybe like some energy or some lightning was present, right? And that would be maybe how this all kind of came together. And the bottom line was that um, they were able to take a very small like step like, oh, hey, um, we had a little bit of success here doing this. But at the end of the day, the, the ability to get together enough of a substance that would create life was not strong enough to support it. And so you may hear, like you may hear that as a counterpoint out there in your schools if you ever like try and um, are debating this or talking to someone who doesn't believe. Um, that's the kind of counterpoint out there. And so you can dig in a little bit more and try and find some more info on that. I can get some more to you as well. Um, but but the, the bottom line is that we don't see non-life create life. And so the big picture question as we take a step back, right, from all the details, all the scientific jargon and language is this, is how do you think we got here? By chance, by just drawing DNA code uh, and taking like the lottery, like pulling it out of the Scrabble bag, or by somebody particularly putting it in place so that you work and you, your body works exactly how it, it's designed and supposed to. And so that's where I think there's another evidence for a creator as you kind of lean in and press into that. The third one, um, this one is about the age of the earth. And so you guys know, you've probably heard, and this one is probably going to be the most contentious, um, if I'm honest with you, is that you've heard that the earth is millions and billions of years old, okay? And so a lot of our evidence that we get from that um, to kind of refute that point is that it comes directly from the Bible, And so here's the thing. If you're sitting in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna be like, hey, I believe the Bible and I know the Bible is true, but if you've ever had questions or if you've ever been skeptical or if you're ever talking to somebody who is skeptical and your answer is, well, yeah, that's that's just what the Bible says, I would imagine that their kind of answer back to you would be like, well, yeah, but I don't believe the Bible, so how do I know that this is true? All right, so let me show you what the Bible has to say um, and then what this kind of means for us, okay? So in Genesis chapter 5, in Genesis chapter 11, there are detailed genealogies. You can go read them. Often what happens is you get to them and you skip over them because they're just a bunch of names of people that you don't recognize and you find boring. But as um, people who study this stuff trace it back, they can use those, those specific ages of people and trace it back to a proposed kind of origin of the beginning of, of the earth and stuff like that. So you can find those in Genesis chapter 5. You can find those in Genesis chapter 11. And those are detailed accounts that can really point to the fact that, that um, the earth is only a few thousand years old. Genesis chapter 6 is another really crazy unique thing that happens. The entire world was flooded, all right? You and I know the story from Noah's Ark, but the entire world was flooded. And so so many things because of that were wrecked and, and destroyed and, and the things were just reset in the atmosphere and in the universe. And so as a result of Genesis 6, what took place there is the, the flooding of the world, these layers and layers of sediment and fossils that, that scientists often point to and say, well, look at all these different layers that we have of animals and, and people that we can dig back in time. The flood can really explain a lot of that. And um, listen, if you haven't been to the Creation Museum or the Ark, we're not super far from those. And so uh, those would be kind of maybe fun thing for you to check out on your own or maybe a little like life group field trip because they go way, way, way more in depth on some of those things, okay? And so the answers are um, found there in the flood and in some of those sediments and things. The last thing I'll say, and this isn't really in the notes, but the last thing I'll say is um, I, I've heard it put this way, like, 
when God created the Garden of Eden, when God created the world and everything around it, he didn't create it in its infant, infant form, right? Like he created Adam and Eve as men and women. Like they didn't go from being babies all the way up to being um, men and women. They were created as mature adults. And in the same way, nature and some of those things around it, I think they were probably created in their mature state, in their mature form. And so I don't think the Garden of Eden was just a bunch of newly planted trees, right? And how do you measure the age of a tree? You cut it in half and you count the rings in it. I think God probably put fully developed, fully mature trees that maybe were already, uh, that maybe already have some years into them, but he created them in that, that state. And so as scientists kind of dig back into the years and stuff like that, they'd be like, well, hey, this, this predates it, or this, this is how, like, it should have been, how old it is or whatever. Um, I just think that, that God probably put the world in such a way where it was created in a mature state and a mature form, all right? And so those are some of the kind of the points and the counterpoints for creation. Um, old earth, new earth, creation, evolution. And so here's the deal. All of this, as we look into intelligent design, as we look into creation, not creation, theism, all, the, all these things at the end of the day, I want to leave you with this. All these things, I think, leave us pointing to a creator, the question, the now what, the next step for you is, how are you going to respond to the creator who created the world and who created you? And I think what happens is we, as followers of Jesus, as you sit in your biology classes and you, you face professors, you face teachers who don't, um, who don't believe the same things you do, I think our, our natural defense is to debate, all right, and to fight and to win the argument. All right, so I just want to give you a couple of ideas, uh, three kind of three things to think through. The first one is this, um, don't debate, all right? If you win an argument, but you make the person angry in the process, you have no relationship there anymore to, to continue to show them Jesus. And so all you did was make them mad. You may have come out on top, you may have won the argument, but, but what did you do in the meantime to that relationship? The second thing, always bring this conversation back to God and to the gospel, all right? Or um, the entire Bible is about God's plan to redeem humanity. And that's the gospel. And that's the message of Jesus and the message of hope found in Jesus, okay? And then the third thing is I wanna challenge you, be educated about the other side, all right? Be educated about what other people are thinking and what the counterpoints might be. Don't just be the type of person who, who writes it off and be like, well, this is what I believe and this is what the Bible says. But instead, lean into it and try to understand their perspective and try to see it from their angle and from their lens. Because at the end of the day, what your mission, what our mission is, is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, he says, sanctify Christ as Lord within your hearts. Right, so determine ahead of time that Jesus is Lord in your heart and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So what's the hope that's in you? If you're a follower of Jesus, the hope that's in you is Christ. And so are you prepared to give an answer or a defense for the hope that you have? And look at the last part here. I hit it this last week, I believe. Do this with gentleness and reverence. Other translations say with gentleness and respect. Guys, the, the approach matters. So you might win an argument and you might do it in a very mean way, but the way that you do it matters because ultimately it's about pointing other people to Jesus and helping them see and find 
hope and an answer found in him, okay? So what I want to do is I want to challenge you as we've presented a lot of scientific information last week and this week. Next week, we're going to come together and we're really going to put a bow on it and we're going to wrap it all up. And so listen, I know it's right after church. I know it goes against your normal schedule. I would really challenge you to try and be here. And if you can, bring a friend. Let them know that we're, we're going to feed them lunch, all right? Because we're really going to try and kind of put a stake in the ground and really make a, a pretty uh, bold declaration next week, okay? So, but what I want to challenge you tonight is to lean in, press in, ask hard questions, and ask things that, that, that didn't make sense, all right? That's what this time is for. So let me pray, and then you guys will be dismissed and head off into your groups, all right? Let me pray for you. Lord, Thank you for this time together. Thank you for our group. And God, I just pray that you give us a focused time in small group uh, to discuss this, to, um, to answer um, and to ask intelligent questions about this, Lord. Um, help us not to just take things at, at face value or because so-and-so said so, but Lord, uh, help this to be about us, um, God, looking at, at all angles and really trying to understand because Lord, we know that the truth will win. And your word is truth, and we believe that. And so, Lord, I just pray that you help us to do that, uh, lean into that, and learn that here in small group. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. See you.